Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, or wives, even mothers, and their examples are inspirational to us all. Hello, this is Robin, and Cheryl and I have a guest today who has been here before. We were so excited to have her come back because Michelle Yule has written another biography. This one is about Letty Cowman. We want you to go back into the library and make sure you listen to the first podcast that Cheryl did. But uh, because Michelle is a biographer and she has so many more details, we had to have her back and tell us more of the story. Because we love the details. Oh, yes, Both Robin and I talk about this. We love the details. Letty Kalman is one of my favorite um, characters or women worth knowing. One of my favorites. Um, you might know her from Streams in the Desert, the wonderful devotional that she actually uh, put together. And I yeah. think that's what we highlighted on the past podcast. So Michelle, welcome to Women Worth Knowing. You are a woman worth knowing for sure. That's right. And Letty Kalman is a woman worth knowing. Hello. Good morning. It's nice to hear your voices. I hear you every Tuesday morning when I listen to your show, but now you're live. Exciting. That's right. Well, that's good to have you be on the show now, too. So why don't you just jump right in, Michelle, and this work as a biographer has allowed you to uh, come upon much more information than I'm sure Cheryl and I could ever find. Well, well, I've got to say this. Michelle and I were sitting um, at the table, and she said, I heard the podcast on Letty Kalman. Did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? And I found the information on Letty Kalman kind of sporadic. I mean, I read uh, Charles Kalman. What was it? Uh, Missionary Hero? Or what was the name of her book that she wrote on her husband? Missionary Warrior. Missionary Warrior. That was it. And so she'd written that book. And then um, there were just a couple pamphlets that I found. I mean, it was not easy finding the information. I'm curious, where did you garner all the information? Well, I spent two weeks at the One Mission Society Archives, which is in Greenwood, um, Indiana. And that is what the Oriental Missionary Society is now known as. So the missionary society that Charles and Letty Kam and Juji Nakada, um, Ernest Kilborn, and Tetsa Suburo, I can never get his name quite right, um, founded in 1901. And it's still going strong 122 years later. Wow. Still working around the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And um, a friend and I went, and we spent two weeks scanning documents. We had eight gigabytes of documents. And uh, it was extraordinary. Um, The whole experience there at OMS was great. The people were wonderful. And then all this information that turned out, um, you know, 90 years is a long time to live, and there was a lot of information from this writer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, again, you and I were both attracted um, to this this woman's um, dedication to Jesus, her um, her spiritual mm-hmm. journey. You know, she she wasn't born as a Christian. No, no. Well, and if anyone listening has not yet heard of the devotional Streams in the Desert, it's been in publication for 
over 100 years. Has and, it really? <laughs> yes, and we encourage you to get a copy because it's extraordinary, obviously, that the words are still applicable today, but they came from such a deep place in her heart from life experience. Right. Well, she actually, you know, Michelle, you know this, she collected these stories or she mm-hmm. would hear someone preach a sermon and it was really a collection of thoughts and um, sermonettes and things that ministered to her. Yes. And so she would send them to the missionaries to inspire them. And, you know, as Michelle, will you take it from here? I don't I want to hear you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Go, Michelle. A little bit of the origin of Streams in the Desert. Well, Streams in the Desert, it came, it was the hinge of Letty's life. She lived a very full life up until that book was um, published and a very full life as afterwards, in part because of Streams in the Desert. I want to just tell a little bit about her as a child because um, people don't know that she is a contemporary of Laura Ingalls Wilder, born in 1870, Iowa, and she grew up 300 miles west of the banks of Plum Creek. But if you're comparing her story to Laura's story, she's the Nellie Olson character. So whatever happened to Nellie Olson? She could be redeemed. Um, a banker's daughter and the, the youngest of eight children. Her parents were 49 and 50 years old when she was born. So obviously the Lord just kind of said, we need her and dropped her into that life. Um, so it's, it's interesting to read how this wealthy little girl grew up and she married as um, Cheryl did such an apt job with um, with Jasmine describing the story before, mm-hmm. she fell in love with the telegraph operator when she was 13 years old, and he was a whopping 15. She promised that she would marry him. She would wait for him to his life. And when he came back and had made a fortune, they got married. And she said later that Charles rescued her from a life of wealth and, um, and that um, she took her on quite an adventure. So um, she did not become a Christian until, uh, with her handsome, wonderful husband, they moved to Chicago during the time of the Chicago World's Fair, and someone left a pamphlet, an opera singer. Uh, Letty was a pianist. She was a fine singer, a soprano. Music always flowed through her soul in a love of art, and when she heard the gospel and was challenged with that, she realized, I've only been living for myself. I need to live for Jesus. Mm. As Cheryl, again, uh, demonstrated in the earlier podcast, that created a major crisis in her family, in her marriage. Her husband was a high-powered um, executive with Western Union, which was, of course, the, the Internet of the time. And he was dismayed. How could you do this to me? How can you become a Christian and go to church? This is going to ruin my life. (laughs) But, you know, the Holy Spirit was at work in Charles's life. He, too, became a Christian, and off they went. They gave away everything, all their money, their their, um, wealth, their households. and And that's one of my favorite stories. I don't know if you came across that story where the offering plate came around. Mm-hmm. And they they gave what they had, and then it came around again, and then she took off her jewelry and put it in the offering plate. They gave everything. Mm. And then they were trying to save to go to um, Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, off into the mission field because they believed in going without any backing. That's right. And then the church took an offering for them, mm-hmm. and it amounted to 25 cents. That's right. It was a quarter. And that 
and on that, Charles, this man who, we you know, he was paid as much as the President of the United States at the time prior to becoming a Christian, said, this is our sign, off we go. And um, some 50 years later, Letty got, an, uh, got a peso in a, an offering plate in Mexico, and that was her sign. 25 cents, here we go. This is what God wants us to do. I remember and how, you know, the echo goes through time, right? Yeah. Mm. Charles had turned to her and said, look at this, Letty, 25 cents and all the promises of God. Amen. That that speaks to me so many times, you know. All right. I don't have money, but I've got all the promises of God. Exactly. And, you know, she, once Laddie made her mind up to do something, she was all in. There was never any question. And when she became a Christian, she knew she needed to learn Scripture. And so she spent hours of her mornings poring over Scripture, learning Scripture, reading Scripture. And when she wasn't doing that, she was praising God with her piano and her soprano voice. The worship was part of the greater understanding of what the Bible actually said. And, of course, the hymns of the faith from so many years ago, she was in the Methodist conference. Well, she was at Moody's Church, actually, in Chicago, um, came right out of Scripture, and they just, they blended off each other. The words of the hymns blended off the Scripture she read, and vice versa, back and forth. And she learned how to line up Scripture with whatever God, she felt God was calling her to do. She was always searching for Scripture. Throughout her life, she spent hours every morning in the Scriptures, in the Bible, and later in her story, I'll get back to what happened as a result of that. But she was always looking for the Holy Spirit's still small voice to guide her. And he took her up on it, and off she went. (laughs) I love that. And didn't stop until she was 90. How old was she when she went to heaven? She died on Easter Sunday, 1960, when she was 90 years old. She was 90. the thing about that, too, is she was told throughout her life, you have a weak heart, you yep. aren't going to be able to do anything, you might as well retire. You're, you know, even as they were going to Japan, the pastor of the church said to her husband, you're going to put her in a grave six weeks after you get to Japan. There's no way she can do this. Well, she proved otherwise. <laughs> All the promises of God. All the right promises there. of God. You know, it's interesting, too, is the fact that she... Um, was willing to give up all that wealth. You know, as we talked before, she came from this wealth. Uh, I know she loved to dance. That was one of the mm-hmm. things before she got saved that, you know, kind of like, um, who else was it that loved to dance? I think it was, um, I can't remember the name right now, but she really, really enjoyed, oh, Isabel Kuhn. You know, they were both the contemporaries oh, yes. of each other. And um, Isabel, too, that was one of the things that was hard for her to give up the dances, which, you know, were very popular in the well, roaring 20s and 30s. Now, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> but that was, um, you know, to act. To receive such a strong missionary call on their lives after being saved is extraordinary. And why Japan, Michelle? Well, they were out of the holiness mission uh, movement, which was most popular in the late 19th, 20th, 19th century into the early 20th century. Oswald Chambers was also part of the holiness movement. Mm-hmm. And um, they, there was a great emphasis on continual sanctification, continual cleansing of your soul, uh, being close to God. And then missions came out of that. And a popular book at the time, it is still uh, available for sale on Amazon, is um, Jesus is Coming Soon by Dr. Blackstone. And it just said, Jesus is coming soon. We've got to get as many people into the kingdom of God as possible. And that's what they committed themselves to do. I tell you, it was amazing. When I sat on the floor 
of the OMS looking through um, photos, because they've got gazillion photos from mm. the past, and I saw all these pictures of people shining with joy and happiness because they're about to be baptized in a you know baptismal font made out of canvas. This was in a part of the world I can't name. And I looked at these people, and I was, like, so excited because I'm smiling right back at them. And then I suddenly realized they're all dead. Mm. These people were all martyred for the sake of And yet, there they were, shining with the joy of salvation. (laughs) And that's when it just hit me how many millions of people are in heaven today, and I will know someday, because Letty and Charles, but Letty was the beginning, went off and made sure that the gospel was preached. And they went to some interesting parts of the world at difficult times, and we'll probably get to that. But, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, a sense of the will, but also just a calling from God, and they went with it. And it took them to interesting places. And started with Japan. They went to Japan because at first they were going to go to India, and the doctor said, no way, you'll be dead. And so... the, they were at God's Bible School in Cincinnati, which also is still going strong now. And um, the um, head man there, whose name is now oh, is now escaping me, <laughs> it's right here, um, Martin Wells Neff, holiness preacher again, who founded God's Bible School and the Revivalist Magazine, which is still going strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, well, you know, maybe God wants you to go somewhere else. And Letty got a word from Scripture that it was to be Japan, of all places, which, you know, in... 1899, nobody knew anything about Japan, and then Charles got the same word a couple of days later, and, and she acknowledged that she'd already received it and was waiting for him, to, to God, to confirm it in his life. So they felt that those were the signs that the Lord was sending them to Japan. They had met Juji Nakata at Moody Bible Institute. He was a fiery Japanese evangelist, and he said, come to Japan, we need you, to, we need you in Japan, we need to have the gospel there. And at that time, just as Oswald Chambers did, in fact, OC will come up in a minute, they went to Japan in 1901, met Nakata there, and it promptly um, started a Bible training institute. Um, within a month, six weeks of their arrival, they had it up. Remarkable. And they didn't speak Japanese. They never really spoke Japanese. They took lessons forever. And, you know, Japanese, when you're 35 years old, is, can be challenging. Um, they always had an interpreter. Charles went right to work. Um, evangelizing, handing out tracts, off they went. At that time, in that first decade of the 20th century, Japan was 95% literate. <laughs> That's <knew>? amazing. <laughs> wow. I would never... And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, but that scripture about the word will never return void mm-hmm. felt very strongly that if we write it down in Japanese and we hand it out, the word of God will do its job. Mm-hmm. And there they were. And can you, I mean, you picture her, she was five feet four, which actually was tall for a woman in those ages, mm-hmm. but she had that cinched in waist because she's wearing a corset and she's got boots on and a big dress and, hand in, and a hat, you know, big flooring, wonderful hat, <laughs> handing out pamphlets to all the Japanese people in their kimono and their ghetto sandal. <laughs> um, and did they, they start with the Gospel of John? I think it was the Gospel of John, and then they had some other tracks along those lines explaining what it was. But Nakata, their cohort, um, spoke for 3,000 straight nights in a... a wow. 3,000? That's a record. <laughs> yeah, just... Wow. Well, maybe he wasn't there every night because he traveled as well. And mm. this is in 1901, 1902, 1903, the Sino-Russo War. Japan was at war with Russia. Korea was doing mm-hmm. crazy things. And, you know, China's always there. So it was in an interesting part of the world, and uh, soon 
the first convert, the first person that Charles Kalman led to the Lord, Ernest Kilborn, joined them with his family. And, and Ernest had worked at the telegraph office with, um, with Charles, right? Exactly. He was a telegrapher, and they named their initial newsletter the Electric Telegram, because at the beginning, all the people they were leading to the Lord were telegraph operators. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. The first Japanese man that Charles Kalman led to the Lord was a telegraph operator. So, and Letty got to work. She um, was a writer with them. She and Kilborn really put out the Electric Telegram monthly for all those years. And uh, she loved children. She told children's stories. They handed out gospel tracts, and off they went. You know, Streams in the Valley has some of her stories, you know, and it's different than Streams in the Desert, Streams in the Valley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I was expecting Streams in the Desert when I bought Streams in the Valley, and instead there were these stories that, you know, Letty Kalman had written that Mm -hmm. served as little devotions. Absolutely. She, at one point, was writing a monthly column for the Revivalist magazine. It went on for years, which eventually she called Streams in the Desert. And when 1924 arrived, when the book was finally published, that's why she called it Streams in the Desert. Mm -hmm. People had been writing her to say, can you collect all these columns together? And that's what she did. They were, um, it was a collation of talks and also great poems to encourage people in grief, because she was going through profound grief at that time. Let me finish on Japan, the Great Village Campaign, 1912 to 1918. While a world war is raging across the globe, mm-hmm. including within China, Japan, they, the Oriental Missionary Society, including Letty, visited every home in Japan, 10.3 million homes, and left a gospel tract from John and, a, and how to become a Christian tract at every home in Japan. Now, 10.4 million homes, I mean, the people were wearing out a pair of shoes every month, walking from from house to house. As best as they know, they hit every home. They had a map that would show them every home in all the provinces. I mean, Japan is a long, narrow country with mountains and hills and ocean. And, but they left those tracks. And uh, Letty participated in a lot of that, but also she was re- earning money or raising money overseas just to bring to keep it going. That they finished right after, um, in late in early 1918, well, the war just before the war ended, and Charles called Kalman collapsed, and they had to return to America for good. But all those gospel tracts, um, they, it was very, very busy. So how long were they in Japan? They lived in Japan. Well, they spent half the time they, quote-unquote, lived in Japan, deputating, right. um, traveling the world, raising funds. And Nakata and Kilbourne and the rest of the Bible Training Institute personnel were really running the evangelism effort in Japan. They were just getting the funds. Because Letty was a phenomenal speaker, mm-hmm. singer, speaker. They would appear in their kimonas, which in 1906, you know, Cincinnati, were going to draw a crowd. <laughs> so, I would imagine. Wow. Very creative. And, um, yeah, so in 1918, Charles collapsed. They returned to Hollywood, which is where OMS was located at the time, their headquarters. And he spent the next seven years dying. Mm. with his wife at his side. And out of that long turmoil came streams in the desert. Mm -hmm. Um, He had profound heart issues, angina. um, And the only way they knew to help with the pain of angina during those years was to boil really strong coffee. You know, the caffeine would jolt the heart. And But he was in great pain. She would sit up with him night after night reading anything she could find that would encourage him. She, there were apparently 24 used bookstores in the L.A. area. Where they were is only five miles from downtown L.A. 
and she would scour them looking for anything. And it went from like Ramona Jackson's Ramona, and I mean Helen Jackson's mm-hmm. Ramona, to, to Spurgeon, a lot of Spurgeon. In fact, Spurgeon is the most quoted person in Streams in the Desert, um, from the great Puritan uh, writers up to F.B. Meyer, all, all through that. And she would read that to encourage him. Charles would sit before a map of the world with a pointer and pray for all the places in the world where the gospel hadn't reached. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And I found in the archives a letter he wrote applying to become a missionary to Africa probably a year before he died. Obviously, there was no way he could do that, but his heart was with the gospel and to share with as many people as possible because Jesus was coming back soon. Mm. Right? Yes. So, yeah, that's where she was up until Streams in the Desert. It's never been out of print. It hits 100 years in January of 1920, uh, 2024, which is why the book is coming uh. out now. And um, it uh, speaks to people who are going through grief. It's a, it's a devotional focused on grief and, um, because it came out of her grief, but it was an encouragement of the grief, mm-hmm. how to get through the grief how the Lord speaks to us in our grief, how we can turn the grief over to Jesus and move forward, because it's not over yet. Where there is life, there is hope. And isn't it remarkable when you think, I mean, the three of us have read Streams in the Desert for years, how you can maybe not read anything from the book for two years and then go back to that devotional, open it up, and it's as if you've never seen that entry before. It's all fresh. That's just it, there, are, there are just amazing. a few entries yeah. in Streams in the Desert that happen to be my favorite. There's the story of George um, uh, Muller, or Mueller, however you say it in his story, and where uh, Paul... Um, it, it's all about faith and how that Paul the Apostle stands on the um, stern of the boat and says, I believe that it will be done just as the Lord has spoken to me. And that is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think it's in February. I always find myself looking it up <laughs> because it's one of my favorite. So, Michelle, what is the name of your book and when does it come out? Because even though I know Letty, I've studied her, reading her life is always so inspirational. Mm-hmm. The book is called Overflowing Faith, Letty Cowman and Streams in the Desert. It's a biography, and Streams in the Desert is woven through there because the elements that are in Streams in the Desert are all part of her life. I mean, devotionals are rich in that way. And, um, so, and then I also really delved into how she reached the conclusions she reached. What did it mean for her to um, pray for all those hours. Mm. Later on, someone says, we'd have some, you know, it should come up, and she'd go off and pray for a couple hours, and she'd come back with some obscure verse out of the Old Testament that, and you're like, what? And yet that would change the whole direction of the ministry, and wow. it was because God had given her a word. Uh, fascinating, um, really, to figure out how she did that. <laughs> we want to hear about that next season of Letty's life. So we're going to come back and do part two. But I want our listeners to know that we'll have these book titles and your name and website in our show notes so they can find it. I am I am so excited so about excited. this book because yeah. I remember talking to you and you said, you know, did you know this? Did you know this? It's, you know, interesting. One of my mom's favorite um, women, you know, in history was Amy uh, simple, uh, sorry, Amy Carmichael. Yeah. And she had met one time with Elizabeth Elliot and she said, Oh, I've read all of Amy's books. And mm-hmm. 
Elizabeth looked at her and said, all 52? And my mom said, oh, no, I was only aware of uh, 22. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that with Letty, um, you know, when I met with you, that there's so much more and her life mm-hmm. is so, so rich. So I really can't wait to uh, come back. Are you willing to call us back and talk some more? I would be happy to talk about Lenny. Yes. Stories are fantastic. Uh, Especially because um, once she becomes a widow, I mean, how many people think their life is over? When it hits oh, that, not and, you so know, for Letty, right? And I've already written this, and I've already Started, done yes. this, right? And been to Japan, and mm-hmm. so this is going to be super exciting. So, all right, Michelle, until we can call you back for next week, uh, this is Cheryl Broderson, and I'm Robin Jones Gunn. We look forward to chatting with you soon, Michelle. Yes, and don't forget for those of you who are listening, God wants you to be a woman worth knowing. Yes. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known Christian women in history. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.